Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things human factors, psychology, and design. Hey everyone, welcome to a bonus episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined by Blake Arnsdorf, and today we have a special interview with one of the candidates running for the HFES president-elect position, and that's Dr. Chris Reed. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Nick. How are you guys doing? Uh, thanks for having me back. Blake, what's up, buddy? Not much, man. It is great to have you back on the show again to go through a completely different topic this time, but it's great to hear your voice again. It really is. Last time we were talking about ErgoX, now it's a different topic altogether. Yeah, I was going to remind our listeners, last time we talked, it was about ErgoX. It was, I think it was 2018 that we mm-hmm. did all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a great conversation, and that that uh, that interview is actually available on our feed, too. You can search through it there. Uh, Chris, what have you been up to since then? Uh, it's just life. You know, go year by year, do my thing. No, no. <laughs> All jokes aside, you know, things have been good. Uh, obviously, you know, things are really busy uh, happening in, in HFES, uh, on the executive council, and we can go into some of that during the interview. Um, but then at the same time, you know, trying to balance work, uh, dealing with things uh, at Boeing and, and balancing with home with my kids and my family. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, I hear you there, man. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you've had well, a we're- kid. Didn't you have a kid yeah, since I last did. time we chatted? I do. I I now have a son. Congratulations, <laughs> he is, uh, man! Eleven months old. Thank you. All right. Well, we're happy to have you on the show. We got some. We got some tough questions for you. I I know uh, these these aren't light topic questions. So uh, sorry about the the curveballs here. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, why don't we go ahead and get into it here? So uh, why don't you just tell our listeners kind of about yourself? What kind of unique experiences do you have that would make you qualified for the HFES president elect position? Yeah. So uh, how to give a family history in you know thirty seconds? It's you know, really, so my background is uh, out of University of Central Florida. So I was born and raised in, in South Florida. I uh, went to University of Central Florida in Orlando, uh, where I did all of my, all three of my degrees. Uh, so I did an undergrad in electrical engineering and computer systems, a master's in industrial engineering and engineering management, and then a PhD in industrial engineering also, but in human factors ergonomics. Um, since then, scholastically, uh, lately I've been picking up a lot of certificates. So I uh, did a, cert- a certificate in project engineering, um, again with UCF, uh, then visual analytics with Indiana University. And, uh, and the latest one is out of MIT with um, technology or sorry, technical leadership. Um, so that's kind of my scholastic achievement side. Um, going into work background, so since finishing my PhD, uh, actually just before my PhD, I was doing internships with Boeing. I, uh, during uh, my time at UCF, I was uh, doing um, basically GRA, um, uh, TA stuff uh, related to that while finishing my PhD. Then Jumped over to Boeing, did three internships during my, my doctoral studies, uh, focusing in uh, lower extremity research while building aircraft uh, specific to knee disorders. Uh, and then from there, graduated and had my first gig in the Army. So um, 
essentially worked at Natick Research Labs uh, for the U.S. Army as a civil servant. Uh, particularly, I was a human factors engineer working personal protective equipment. Uh, so think of anything that a soldier or warfighter can carry on them, uh, from ballistic gear to chem biological garments, eye pro helmets, gloves, you know, basically personal protective equipment. Um, took that to the next level and jumped onto a NASA gig, uh, working for Lockheed Martin after that. Um, and moving to, uh, Houston, Texas. And so in Houston, I was the discipline lead um, for human factors and ergonomics in the anthropometry biomechanics facility. Uh, and so there we basically work space gear, uh, anything that an astronaut would do in, in, in either intravehicular activity within uh, a space vehicle or extravehicular activity. And that's where my specialty was. So dealing with personal protective equipment, in this case, spacesuits, uh, for, um, EVAs. Um, and my latest gig after that is, uh, moving to back to Boeing. Um, I'm currently an associate technical fellow in the environment health and safety organization at Boeing. Uh, and specifically I'm still doing, uh, human factors ergonomics, but in wearable technologies. So, uh, go guess it. Uh, this time I'm doing exoskeleton technologies, wearable sensors, wearable computing, anything along those lines. So seems like I'm trending towards anything body-worn and personal protective equipment. Um, lately, you know, what rounds me up um, as a qualified individual is, you know, when you take all of my school experience, my work experience, and you add them into my extracurricular activities, stuff I've done with HFES, stuff I've done with other technical societies. Um, so outside of HFES, um, I'm a member of the National Safety Council, um, where I, I, I won a Rising Star Award, um, also on the uh, National uh, Society for Black Engineers. Um, I'm the, the technical liaison from the Boeing company to them um, from the technical fellowship. Uh, and then uh, this year I won an award from the Black Engineer of the Year Awards for outstanding technical contributions. Um, and I also have been nominated to uh, ASTM International, which is a standards organization, um, to be on their board of directors. Uh, so you take all of those and you piece them together. You, you see um, all these fields in, in uh, engineering, the technical side of the house, leadership um, as I've gone through my career, leadership in uh, technical societies, uh, including HFES. Um, and you kind of pile those together and you can say, okay, if we're going to nominate someone to actually do something, and I'm going to assume you guys are going to throw some hardball questions and, you know, current day and age um, uh, efforts that are going on. You want somebody who's going to go out there and solve a problem, understand the situation and put it together um, based on their experiences uh, and, and put that solution on the ground and get it working. And, and so that's what I've been doing um, through my career, um, taking on uh, large problems and, and solving them for the people involved. Sorry for the long windedness. That's OK, Chris. You, you mentioned some of the hard hardball questions here. I'm going to I'm going to jump into the first hardball question. And and this one um, this one's a doozy. And I, I am so, so interested in your take on it. 
Diversity and inclusion. It's it's a really important topic, especially right now. I've recommended your elephant in the room uh, post on the HFES member forum on the show mm-hmm. uh, because it's just so important. Um, and my question to you is, what steps will you take to ensure that HFES as an organization is diverse and inclusive um, to those uh, and provides representation for those historically marginalized voices? Yeah, yeah, that that's tough, Nick. Um, as you as you probably assumed from the elephant in the room conversation, um, let me preface. So, when the George Floyd incident happened, um, obviously you guys know I'm I'm a person of color. Uh, my my parents are are from the Caribbean. Uh, they're from Jamaica, so I'm a, a, a first generation American. And so when you combine that together with what's happening to a person of color, a black or brown person, and all the stuff that's going on right now, you know, my, my seven-year-old daughter was watching the news with me and my wife, and she's just like, Why are they, what are they doing to that man? Because they're, they're playing it on the TV. Uh, and I had to literally look my wife in the face, and we had that look in our eyes kind of like a surprise. She's old enough to understand what's going on. And uh, and try to break it down for her. And so basically, she just kept asking, why? Why would they do that? Why would they hurt him? Why would they kill him? And we just didn't have good answers. Um, other than saying, this is the type of society we live in at the moment, you know, and it's it's hard as a parent to tell your child, hey, this is this is what you potentially have to prepare for. Uh, and so. You know, obviously, you know, kicking that back and letting my my engineering take over, it's it's you kind of start thinking about it systematically, and that's that's really what we're good at here in the human factors and ergonomic society, looking at a problem, quantifying that problem, breaking it down, and figuring out ways you can solve it, and that's that's really where I wanted to leverage the society and say, hey, guys, this isn't all right. This is a problem that I'm having. Can you help me solve it? Can you help us solve it? Can you help all of us solve it as a society? Can can we work both within and without to come up with solutions that could potentially move the ball of progress forward? And so some of the stuff that I started working on after that, I, I think you guys saw a lot of great recommendations come out of that chat uh, with the elephant in the room chat. Um some of the, the, the stuff went back to the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, which I'm a member of. Um, and so with the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, we came up with a ton of suggestions. And actually, they went right to the Executive Council. And so last month at the Executive Council, uh, we voted on a message, uh, a, a more explicit and, and um, contained message speaking to George Floyd and the incident that happened along with the Black Lives Movement matter uh, and basically standing up and with a lot of other technical societies and saying, this is not right. We stand with these people. These people are human beings and we need to be better than this. And so aside from the message itself, and that was unanimously voted on uh, from the executive council and pushed through and ended up on the website. But aside from that, um, the, the committee, the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, has been working on a couple of action items. Um, one of those, uh, which you guys may be familiar with, is, is the recent listening uh, and acting webinar uh, that came out uh, starting June. It's a monthly 
webinar series uh, uh, diving into ways that we can better ourselves. So understanding the situation and doing something about it. Uh, in June, we did a talk on uh, just understanding racial injustice and what's happening. And we had um, we had a number of HFES uh, guests on, on the panel. Uh, we also had a um, civil rights attorney on the panel looking at it from that perspective. Uh, July, we went into dealing with COVID-19 and doing a crossover uh, episode um, where you're looking at the intersection between COVID-19 and healthcare and uh, disparities within marginalized communities and the impact there and how that's uh, playing in on not only healthcare provision, but also um, death itself and how COVID is spreading through those communities. This month, we're actually working on another crossover series uh, dealing with education and we're actually putting that together and hoping to have it ready for another webinar by the end of the month. But it's COVID-19 uh, dealing with uh, childhood education. And how do we deal with that as parents? You know, we have to, do we send our kids to school? Uh, do we do it virtually and teach from home? Uh, what about if we have to work? What do we do there? And so this is kind of teasing out all of those those odd ends and, and problems uh, that everybody has to deal with, not only in the society, but the world. And how can HFES help in those areas? So th that's the listening inclusion stuff, kind of dive in, into that. Outside of that, uh, we've been looking at ways to improve training for inclusivity. Um, so how do we pull together an annual training that all of our senior leaders can go through from conference event leaders uh, symposium leaders to executive council leaders, uh, technical group leaders, all of those guys harmonizing that and saying, hey, let's all stand on the same page. As we rotate people, everybody's getting that annual training uh, put in. Uh, also looking at awards. How do we improve diversity and inclusion by awarding people who've done substantial things to improve diversity and inclusion within HFES as well as outside of HFES? Uh, and then funding for research. I think we all love this one. So what opportunities, both internal and external, can we do to fund the, the ball of progress? What could we do as HFES researchers to improve the circumstances uh, both in and out of HFES? So a lot of different opportunities. I think the last one that I can think of is actually what we call a 360 review. Um, so it's working with... Um, the civil rights attorneys and, and third party knowledgeable external entities to come in and review the society, see where we stand, help us build it and make it better. Uh, where can we improve? Uh, and, and so a lot of different ways that we can go about doing that. Um, you know, there, there's just, there's no silver bullet, Nick. It, it's, it's, it's hard to solve a problem that's been existing for hundreds of years. You're not going to solve it overnight but you can chip away at it over time. And I think there sounds like there's a lot of different, you know, avenues that are trying to chip away at the the issue, at least in terms of how HFES is handling it. So it's, it's, it's awesome for me as a member to hear that that kind of stuff, it does exist. Cause I, I, I won't lie. Like this is, this is something, Talking like this has given me more insight into what HFES is currently doing to deal with issues of diversity or making sure the society is inclusive. 
Um, so it's great to hear that there's so much going on in so many different kind of areas um, that the society is supporting and looking to find more ways to even keep that going and keep moving things forward. Yeah, absolutely, Blake. And, it, you know, it's not just about uh, when we think of diversity, it's not just about skin color, right? It's not just about um, race or nationality. I mean, you have to be broad in the concept of diversity and inclusion. Uh, it could be veteran status, age, uh, gender, you know, sexual preference, uh, you know, gender identification. You know, we can keep going. Um, it's all of the above and making sure we're as inclusive as possible within the society so that no one's marginalized. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly important. Um, and and like Blake said, I think, you know, talking with both of you has really uh, kind of opened my eyes to what is going on behind the scenes. And I, I, I would hope uh, that listening to these interviews, um, others would kind of get that same sense that there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh, I want to circle back to one thing that you mentioned, this webinar series, mm-hmm. and how it had the crossover between um, sort of uh, this topic and coronavirus. Yeah. And I I know that's another real big doozy. So, I mean, like, let's just get it out of the way. I honestly think that the world will never be, a, be the same again uh, <laughs> after after this pandemic. So uh, what impacts do you perceive COVID-19 have had on the society already? And how does HFES function going forward in a post-COVID-19 world? Yeah, welcome to New World Order, as the movies like to post it as. Uh, We're actually in that New World Order. Um, So when you're in the midst of chaos, you try to find order um, and, and create a new medium, create a new path forward. And so that's where we're at. Um, as you guys know, uh, directly, COVID-19 has influenced our conferences and symposiums. That's a, a direct uh, intervention, if you want to call it that, uh, of COVID influencing how people travel, how we commune as a society, how we exchange information. All that's changed. Um, so on one end, we had the healthcare symposium. Uh, back in March when all of this was starting up, uh, that had to be changed into a virtual format. Uh, going forward, you guys are familiar that the registration has opened up for the Human Factors annual meeting, as well as uh, this year's version of ErgoX. Those are virtual. Uh, and so 2020 is essentially a non-physical get-together of anything HFES. And that's not just HFES, that's society as a whole. Um how many times do you have to sit on your computer and do, you know, webinars or virtual meetings because you are working from home? Uh, so not only is it at the uh, conference symposium level, we're also looking at it from the perspective of people are going to be working from home. Those who can, of course, many can't. And for those who can't, you know, we have to figure out how to help them. Um but, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we are talking about how do we school our children from home? So not only are you working from home, you're also potentially having to school your child in a virtual setting. So all of these things are affecting our members and, and, and those in society in general. Um, if we add to that, um, 
Look at how COVID-19 is right now. Considering we have no vaccination in place, no way to mitigate it at this point, all we can do is avoidance strategy. If you look at it, you know, we uh, try to reduce exposure risk as much as possible. Uh, we wear personal protective equipment uh, and we put as many barriers or distances in place to, to keep ourselves from being infected. And what that does is it affects us uh, at the economy level, at the work level. So many of our members are likely um, either losing their jobs or they're going into situations where they can't travel because they've lost travel budget. They've lost funding for attending any events like symposiums or conferences. And, and so, you know, there's just so much, right? There's just so much going on where each of our members are feeling it in a different way. Uh, the, the last piece I'll, I'll add on there is, you know, here we are uh, also thinking about uh, mental health in this time and age of COVID-19. So you may have a job, you may be working, your situation may be functional, but in the end, you still have a lot that you're having to deal with. You're used, you're not used to working with a bunch of kids running around screaming at you and your dog's barking. Um, you're not used to uh, working longer hours because you're more uh, attainable um, because of that virtual setting. So there's a lot that's happening on, on the mental health side of the house um, that we may not be able to help ourselves, but through uh, partnerships, um, alliances, we may be able to consider ways that we can uh, provide mental health help to our membership through those alliances. And so, you know, that that's really kind of summing up the, the problem. Solutions going forward, you know, with this new world order, We've got to get a lot more agile and resilient. Um, right now, a lot of times uh, for HFES to solve problems, we do it in a federated mind, a federated state, either the TG level, the executive council level, um, a committee level. Um, but there's um, not as much continuity and uh, communication going across those borders all the time. And we don't always know who's on first or what the left hand is doing from what the right hand is doing. Um, so we have to figure out new ways of, of being more agile, being more communicative, uh, being more resilient in our solutions. Um, and so, you know, that ties into some other avenues as well. You know, how do we improve uh, membership? How do we improve value? Because all of these things are associated together, right? They're, they're all looking at ways that we can strengthen the organization uh, so that we are um, more capable of solving our members' problems and needs as well as others outside. Yeah, you mentioned um, how you mentioned value and we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, but I, I want to, I want to talk about sort of uh, in, in relation to that, like what can, um, what can the organization do for you? Right. Like it, it's, I think a lot of people over the last couple of years, I mean, it's no secret about declining membership numbers for HFES, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of threatens the, the long-term sustainability of the organization itself. And so like what, what, I guess, what actions will you take uh, to help kind of revitalize that membership and breathe new life into the society? Yeah. You know, there are different things that we can consider, you know, in this new world order. Um, 
when you're trying to get more agile, um, sometimes it means um, looking at things as what works and what doesn't work. Um, how do we leverage the things that work, enhance those and strengthen them, and at the same time, for the things that don't work, do something different? Um, I think it was Einstein who said it best. You know, the, the definition of insanity is essentially doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Um, so that's where we have an opportunity with what's happening with all of these different um, events all happening at the same time. Uh, so when we look at membership, um, you know, the, the, the society has been strong. We have decades of experience behind us. Uh, we have, uh, if you think of it in terms of what we produce, um, we produce, um, I, I like to think of it as goods and services. So your goods are your knowledge. What we consider is human factors, ergonomics, knowledge. Your, your services are essentially your, your people, your subject matter experts. Uh, and we are out there solving problems with our goods and services. And that we have to create that demand on one end for our goods and services and reciprocate that back and forth. You're creating that circle of life, essentially. Um, and so with that ecosystem, you now have a reciprocating end where you have on one end research that's being generated. You push it through a, a filter. It goes into an applied setting. Uh, and then on the other side, a demand comes back out, a new demand to go back into research. So we call that research to practice to research. It's a, 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 a never ending cycle that feeds on each other. So in terms of membership, we have to provide that home away from home, that value creation. Um, so we can't just think of it in terms of how we've been doing it. it. It's not just, you know, conference proceedings and symposiums and journals. It's more than that. You know, how do we consume information? There's digital platforms, there's physical platforms. You have printed media, digital media. Um, you may uh, do quick reads on like LinkedIn platforms or take in podcasts. Uh, you know, there's so many ways that we can convey information that's different from the traditional way of reading a journal or reading a conference paper. Because in the end, what does it matter if nobody's consuming it? At that point, it's just uh, either collecting dust or it's, you know, building up space on, on servers somewhere. So, this is, you know, where we can start thinking about things in a couple of different ways. Um, how do we interact with our practitioners? How do we interact with our students? How do we interact with our academics? And beyond that, how do we interact with our, our you can call it our supply chain. So how do we interact with our sponsors, our exhibitors, our ecosystem? You know, these are things that all are integrated into the uh, the biological system that is HFES. And understanding that relationship allows us to strengthen it or create it if it doesn't exist. Um, and so that's where we're talking about partnerships uh, outside the society, um, you know, dealing with technical societies in addition to uh, human factors and ergonomics type societies, looking at alliances with uh, corporate America, uh, looking at um, as uh, on the government side, um, how do we create that reciprocating, um, uh, perpetuating engine, so to say? We got to kick it started and, and let it keep going. 
um, so that we continuously have that research to practice to research because people have to feel a tangible outcome. There has to be a reason for you to go and be a member at HFES. And, and those tangibles are what keeps you coming back. It has to help you. Absolutely. It, it definitely does. And I, I appreciate uh, you bringing in the, the concept of like the, the organization as a whole needing to be more agile and a part of that being a lot more communication. But I think you're right. I mean, we, we breathe, you know, research, test, develop a product, research again, iterate. Like that is, that's mm-hmm. at the core of a lot of what human factors methodology is. It's, it's what a lot of us do in our day-to-day lives that are in the, the practitioner realm for sure. So I think you're right. I think it's, it's definitely a, a time for HFES as a whole to kind of take a look at it and see what really works. Great. Let's keep doing that. But what isn't and what can we do in place of it and test and repeat? Um, so I don't know. I just, I really appreciate you bringing in kind of that, that, agile method and the concept into a way we could try and apply it as a society as a whole to make our our society better yeah absolutely i mean these are just you know i'm a part of other societies outside of hfes that are massive in the tens of thousands of people and i look at how they function and how they organize themselves and i have to wonder why we don't do the same um and you know there's a statistic that i read the other day from a 2018 study of over 800 um, uh, technical associations around the world. Uh, And I believe the figure was 48% of them are in growth mode. They're increasing their membership. Um, And uh, I think they said only 25% were in decreasing mode. So it makes you wonder if, if HFES is losing members, what are we not doing that we should be doing and what are we doing that we should be doing better or more of? So those are things that we can think of. Um, it's going to take all of us, to be honest, Blake and, and, and Nick. It's, it's not something that I can do by myself. It's a village. We have to do this together. Otherwise, we're, we're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, and I think you made another good point, too, about the uh, sort of the partnerships, right? It's not just about the members, but it's about how do we get new members as well. It's it's let's reach out to these other communities uh, that have prospective members that could potentially join, right? Um, and I, I think I think that outreach uh, perspective is is really important, and um, you know can can definitely help with sort of recruitment. Uh, and and you know coming back to some of your points about you know what can the society do. I think that that's a nice tie into the next question here, which is, um, you know, a lot of people kind of look at these organizations and say, well, what can, what can the organization do for me? What value do I get out of it? Um, and, or, you know, what's in it to me? What do you think about the current value of membership? I mean, I know you kind of answered this with the last question, mm-hmm. uh, but what do you think about the current value of membership to HFES society members? Um, and is it enough? And if not, how can we provide some of that extra value? Yeah, so um, I kind of touched on some of that, right? So uh, I, I believe uh, average membership is somewhere around $260 for a full membership. So for that $260, what are you getting out of it, you personally? And this is unique to each person. Um, if we think of it in terms of useful, usable, and desirable, 
I think you guys should be familiar with that. That tends to be a common practice in the work we do. Uh, so is this device useful? Is it usable? And is it desirable for its end user? We can turn that right back around and point it right at us. Is HFES useful, usable, and desirable? And that will help you understand the meaning of value. And so if we think of it in those terms, what's useful? Uh, you know, what are the tangible benefits? What's the return on investment for that $260? And, and so you have to think of it from, okay, well, I get access to journals. Uh, I get access to conference papers and conference proceedings. Uh, I get discounts to going to conferences and symposiums. We get access to webinars. Um, and there's the community, you know, the social aspect of, of knowledge exchange when you need to reach out and ask a problem and try to get an answer. Um, so that's where we're at right now. But, you know, tying into some of the stuff we talked about with diversity and inclusion and membership, the usable stage, you know, the accessibility, the usability of membership. If you're in a situation where COVID-19 is denting your wallet and you have to pay your utility bills, are you going to pay $260 to be a member of society or are you going to pay your utility bills? And so that may be what it's coming down to for some of our people. Uh, is it somewhere of value? Um, we also have areas, you know, where, where we're trying to improve um, the learning center, for example. If we create a learning center where people can come and get, you know, attend uh, workshops, whether virtual or in person, we can gather trainings, we can put those together. Um, for example, some of the practitioners that I talk to that are um, in uh, the manufacturing sector, uh, we're always looking at it from how do we build allies and how do we bring in an understanding of human factors to our workers in our companies who are not human factors uh, practitioners by trade or by education. And so having those trainings available that can bring up to speed someone relatively quickly, get them into a novice stage um, is something quite useful and usable. Um, so again, thinking of those tangible outcomes and then the desirable is the yearning for membership. I cannot lose my membership. You have to put it in those perspectives. If you're at a point where you're uh, you're such a fan uh, that you can't go without your HFES membership, that's where we want to be. That's the desirable stage that we want to be at. But right now, as mentioned earlier, you know you're you're having to choose between uh, one or other societies. Are those other societies giving you more tangible outcomes than HFES? So you have those competitors. Uh, you have uh, folks, again, who are maybe tight on the wallet who can't pay for things. And so solutions that we can do, you know, I, in my um, in my nomination form uh, for my candidacy, I, at the bottom of it, I put together uh, five strategic initiatives that you can look at that I would love to do to help move this society in, in the right direction into a, a growth society. Um, so some of the things I was thinking about were action verbs that we can put out there that just seizes the moment and seizes what I'm thinking about. And so 
creating was one thing. Uh, again, we're, we're generating something that doesn't exist or enhancing it. So creating internal and external alliances, uh, improving resource readiness, uh, you know, speaking as the, the uh, outgoing secretary treasurer, I can tell you what our bank accounts look like. Uh, I can tell you what we're spending on. But in the end, are we doing a service to our members in what we spend? Is there a return on investment for each of those strategies? Do we need to consider tightening our belt and maybe either cutting funding in some places and investing it in other places so that we can enhance value uh, within the society? So that's the creating aspect. So you're thinking about resource readiness. Um, the other part, number two, was harnessing. So harnessing our vast intelligence. I spoke to you guys earlier about goods and services and creating the opportunity where we can have that equal exchange between research, practice, research, just keep doing iterative design, uh, keep having that, that continuous relationship where we can focus on grand challenges. I'm thinking, you know, going back to when Bill Maris was president, Bill introduced a bunch of grand challenges uh, that were out of uh, the, the National Science Foundation, National Research Council, Department of Energy. They were all coming from different directions uh, from the government. Here we are in 2020, face-to-face -face with one of the grandest challenges the world has seen since, you know, the, the last time we were at a world war or 100 years ago during the Spanish flu. And so what can we do to harness the vast intelligence of HFES to tackle something like that? What can we do to improve diversity and inclusion? What can we do to deal with new incoming technologies that we have to deal with as a society and that we want to make sure are safe and effective to use outside when we're, we're interacting with the world. And so you guys know I've, I've worked on ErgoX. ErgoX has been my baby the last three years. How do we deal with the usefulness and user-centered design of technology, exoskeletons, robotics this year? Um, cybersecurity. Last year, we had augmented reality and virtual reality technologies. All of these technologies are starting to take over our workplace, take over our home life. We're becoming more and more technological, so we have to figure out ways to deal with that and design it appropriately. Um, okay, jumping out of harnessing, going into investing. I mentioned that a couple of times when we were talking about finance. So investing in capabilities that allow our membership to grow, allow our members to feel more value. So uh, I'd like to say people processes tools. What can we invest in to enhance people in our membership? What can we invest in to enhance our policies? What tools of the trade should we be investing in from standards to anything that deals with uh, uh, tables, reference tables, anything that deals with calculators, apps on the phone that helps us do our jobs easier? I mean, these are practical things that are easy takeaways that we can just fund. We can put it right into our learning center and people can have some takeaways to take back home. Uh, another one on the, uh, the hit list is strengthening. So strengthening the education of our students, our members, thinking about hard and soft skills. So it's not just about uh, things you do in college that lead to a degree. There's a number of soft skills that you can pick up. We're doing it right now in interacting with each other, having a conversation, ways that you build a relationship with people. 
uh, learn how to do project management, understand business acumen. You're going to have to interact one day outside of academia when you graduate as a student or when you leave to do research with industry or with government. Either way, we all speak one language, and that's business. It has to have some form of return on investment strategy. It has to have an impact to it. Understand what key performance indicators are for KPI and, and understanding project schedules. So these are all hard and soft skills that we can build on within the society. Um, and so the last thing that I will mention on how we increase value is thinking about it from a balancing perspective. We talked a lot about technical capability, hard and soft skills, finance, investment, you know, all of those things. But when it comes down to it, we're still people. We still have to understand how to talk to each other. We still have to understand when somebody's in need and when somebody has to have something solved. And so how do we do that other than creating new communication channels? Um, you know, we have podcasts that we're doing right now. That's an example of one thing. We have webinars, but we have to have two-way uh, channels of communication. So one of the things I've been thinking of, if I became president, I would have either quarterly or monthly town halls. The ability for you to talk directly to the president or to members of the executive council and to increase transparency on what's going on. How do we know the inner workings of the sanctum? That's the executive council. It's, uh, you know, when I was, uh, when I was secretary treasurer elect, I was, I had to kind of gin the base to try and get out the vote that year. And one of the things that I wrote a paper on, uh, that went out to the HVS bulletin was demystifying the executive council. Um, because it is that it, it, people think we, we live on Mount Olympus and that we're, you know, gods of Olympus and we come down to touch humans every so often, but it's really not like that. Um, and so by uh, humanizing us, allowing us to interact with everyone around us, because these are people, these are just like you and me. Those town halls is one way to do it. Industry advisory boards, that's another way of doing it. How do we understand what the community needs outside of HFES? How do we know the next demands that technology are going to place on us and that we need to prepare for? So an industry advisory board allows for advocacy um, with industry and government. It also allows that two-way channel of communication. What's HFES doing that we can leverage back at private industry or leverage back at government? And then what are the next needs and gaps that are coming up that we need to prepare for and we can synergize our community on for solving problems? Um, I did mention institutional partnerships, thinking of it from, uh, again, similar to an industry advisory board where that's more for advising, the institutional partnerships are there for helping. So it's leveraging the resources that we traditionally don't have. Uh, think of it like, hmm, I want to work on creating standards um, and do some joint standards with ISO or with ANSI or with ASTM. That's going to require formal partnerships. And so that's one way of thinking of a partnership. Other ways of thinking of partnerships are uh, if we want to increase diversity and inclusion, why don't we increase the pipeline of people who are doing human factors and ergonomics educations? So one of the things that I've been working on on the side 
in addition to what I do with the diversity and inclusion uh, committee, is looking at it from the perspective of, okay, can we go work with an HBCU or a series of HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, and increase the pipeline of people who are transitioning out of undergraduate programs into graduate programs within the HFES knowledge base? So we have over 70 graduate programs across the United States. Can we pipeline some of those students over there? And then not only that, bring them into HFES. Bring them in and look at it as an opportunity to start churning out leaders of the next generation. So not only are they learning human factors and ergonomics at school, they're getting opportunity within the society. Believe me, I could help, um, need, I could use some help with some project management. Um, if we had these guys coming in as next generation leaders, we give them the opportunity to stretch their skills, work with our leadership, uh, at the same time, bring home some of our, our greatest needs and efforts that are underway. So, you know, there's a lot of examples that I'm throwing out. And I apologize for fire hosing, um, but there's just so much that we can do, Nick and Blake. Um, but it all comes back to that value statement, research to practice to research. It's 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 got to be that continuum, right? We, we have a lot to do and... and we just, I feel like sometimes we're just not having enough time to do it. Um, so I want to really focus on that as president. I think it makes a lot of sense, Chris. I mean, do, you're hitting on a good point. It, it's trying to figure out how to do stuff strategically and in time. Because, uh, I mean, we're, we're all, even though it's as ironic as it is, and you mentioned it a little bit when you were talking about COVID, I mean, a lot of us end up now being on kind of on call almost for a job all the time because we're so much more accessible than we used to be. So then how do we fit in, you know, things like, you know, growing a society like HFES and then how do you fit in that plus maintaining your own at home relationships? Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of great points you've made there about like ways to one, understand what value even means to the current, you know, HFES base as wide as it is and then what can we really do to continue moving that value upward when you're like yes. you mentioned before as, as well there's a lot of different examples of in, of existing societies or existing organizations that are in growth mode and how do we kind of emulate what they're doing to provide more value exactly exactly and you don't always have to do it by yourself use the village approach man crowdsource we can pull in, you know, uh, if we're talking about underrepresented communities, bring in the National Society for Black Engineers. Have an equal opportunity exchange where you attend their event and have a, a booth or an event there. And in return, we have Nesby over here. Uh, we have Society of Women Engineers. You have Society for Hispanic Engineers. I mean, we can just keep going. There's equal exchange opportunities where... We don't always have to go in it by ourselves. Yeah, you put you put a lot of th I can tell you put a lot of thought into that kind of plan going forward. Uh, that's a lot of detail, and yeah, it was a fire hose, but it was a, it was a fire hose of a lot of really important information. And it sounds like, in terms of trying to um, sort of provide that value back to members, it sounds like there's a lot of careful thought that went into. Um, how how we can best go about that, um, and I guess uh, leading into the last question here, I know we're we're rubbing up here on time, mm -hmm. but I, I want to make sure we, that we talked about so much. I just want you to kind of recap what like 
what the roadmap looks like, right? What what does the way forward look like uh, from you know if you were to be elected as a president elect through your time as immediate past president? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. What's the big picture, right? So uh, essentially, you have three years. You know, as you said, you have the elect, the president position year two, and then year three is outgoing. Um, my ultimate goal, you know, if I were to walk away in that third year is to be able to say that we as, as an organization succeeded in setting up a long-term, uh, capability of success. And we've become more relevant today than we were yesterday. And we want to make sure that perpetuates through time. We have the ability to be agile as mentioned and, and shift and adjust as, as needed. So in year one, um, essentially, I would spend year one rallying, rallying resources, rallying allies, uh, creating new alliances and opportunities, bringing in funding sources that traditionally weren't there, looking at government interactions uh, uh, beyond just uh, in, engaging with Capitol Hill, looking at state levels as well as at federal levels ways that we can fund new opportunities as well as engage and understand what gaps and needs might exist outside HVS. So that's, that's criti- uh, creating the strategic ally approach. Um, on top of that, you know, pulling together financial resources. Um, how do we ready our budgets um, so that we're more nimble and able to spend where we need to and invest where we need to um, looking at project management Um so that we can coordinate across all our different layers into society and making sure we bring home the most important impactful things that are going to lead us to success in the future and make sure they're in a timely, manageable and scopable measure. Uh, so things like key performance indicators are, are important to all of that. Um, and then setting up that, that, that feedback channel, creating those town halls, creating those surveys, creating those focus groups so that we're constantly feeling out the pulse of the people who are our members and feeling out the pulse of the people who are outside the society that we're helping. So that's year one. Year two, it's pure execution mode, man. It's it's going into planning, scheduling, and executing. I'm just going full full throttle on project management. We've roadmapped out what we need to do. These are the key deliverables that need to p- take place in the near term, midterm, far term. And now we're going to execute on those things. So they have to be really smart goals, obviously something that's specific, measurable, relevant, you know, achievable, relevant, and has a time bound on it. Um, but, you know, these are milestones that we can achieve not only within my three years, but that the next president can take on. Because what we're really looking at is on the midterm and far term, here's what we need to achieve in the next three years, five years, 10 years. I'm not going to be around to do that as president, but what we can do is agree with these that they're important and that the next president has the ability and the freedom to figure out how they're going to solve those problems. But we need to identify them and come up with those goals uh, ahead of time. And that's part of that road mapping strategy. Year three, it's really, you know, as I'm getting ready to leave, it's more about the monitoring and the ability to adjust, you know, thinking again back to the uh, the agility part. Um, so after the KPIs, the key performance indicators have been set up, we have systems in place by which we can monitor progress, uh, make sure that ball is rolling forward and not backwards. 
uh, and then adjust our tactics as you go. So again, you know, all of this is putting together a strategy, but at the, the, the lower level, you have to have those tactics in place so that you can approach it, execute on it and deliver it um, in the end. So that's, that's my, my three-year approach. It's again, it's, it's really not about how much can I get done within my time? It's more about how do I set the society up to be uh, as functional, relevant, and successful after I leave. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a, a good plan to me. Uh, I I cannot wait to see what happens with HFES over the next couple of years. Um, Blake, did you have anything before we wrap up? Not no. That just I'm excited to see how all this pans out for HFES because it, it seems like from the interviews we've done, it's uh there's definitely a lot of great ideas floating around, and I've gotten a lot more insight into what it all goes into what the EC does and the amount of things that are going on behind the scenes that I as a member am not aware of. So it puts a lot more confidence in from me back in the society that I've been a part of for so long. So this has been a an awesome kind of ride with listening to two different candidates yeah all right well that's going to be it for today uh let us know what you guys think of the interview uh you can vote we have a link down below chris thank you so much for your time and for being on the show and talking to us about uh your plans if you were to be elected as uh the president-elect for hfes where can our listeners go and find you if they want to connect with you or or talk about your plans for president-elect yeah uh Thanks, Nick and Blake, first off, for the opportunity. You guys are gracious hosts, as usual. It's always a pleasure working with you. Um, If you want to find me, uh, the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn, really. Um, So just look up Christopher R. Reed or Christopher Reed, um, and you should be able to find me relatively easy. But yeah, looking forward to uh, taking on this position. Hopefully we get the majority of the vote. And um, if you have any questions in the meantime, feel free to reach out, and I'm more than happy to discuss. Thanks, Chris. I want to thank Mr. Blake Armstrong for being on the show. Where can they find you if they want to talk about your questions for Chris? You guys can always find me across social media at Don't Panic UX. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Hey, Chris, you remember at the end of the show we do the It Depends? Oh, yeah, I remember <laughs> I'll count that. us down. All right, we'll do it on three. Ready? One, two, three. It, it Depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense. <laughs>